Good morning and welcome. How are you? Survived the single digits this morning. It seems to be the, the Lord's not quite done with this Israel thing. We, we had two more people sign up uh, over the weekend. And so I called Mayfair Travel, and they didn't seem to think to be a problem getting him on. Um, so uh, in case you've been fiddling around with the idea, and uh, you uh, uh, maybe want to do it, uh, for some reason this thing really came together kind of late. Uh, so again, I'm throwing out another lifeline to you. If uh, maybe you've been thinking about Israel, and uh, if, you, if you are, uh, you will have to see me today so I can get on the horn there with Joanne from Mayfair Travel, and uh, I'm pretty sure, pretty certain that uh, you'll be a part of that trip. Well, we have come to uh, the end of the seven churches. Uh, we uh, are going to look at that today. Uh, I don't know if I want to call it the famous or the infamous uh, Church of Laodicea, uh, but you'll find it in Revelation 3, uh, verses 14 through 22. And uh, as chapter 3 concludes, we will leap into a whole other dimension. Uh, we move from earth to heaven um, as we go from 3 to 4. And... Uh, Four to five in chapter six, we're back to earth again. But um, uh, also uh, next week, as we uh, will have our Christmas Eve service on Friday night, we try to always have it in advance because folks are, you know, everybody's busy on Christmas Eve. It's a crazy, crazy day. Uh, but uh, Sunday service falls on Christmas Eve day. So we will have two services Sunday morning. Um, and so both of our services, Friday and Sunday, will have a Christmas theme. So if you um, want to bring someone, uh, you know, the, the Friday night's a great opportunity to bring somebody from the outside who, um, you know, it, it's hard for even the unbeliever not to have the Christmas spirit. I mean, nobody wants to be called Scrooge, okay? Uh, so, I mean, everybody seems to be open and happy and joyful around Christmas time. It's a good opportunity to invite folks. And uh, you know, I think it's a great exposure uh, to meet folks as well as we have uh, hors d'oeuvres and, and finger foods and, and cookies and all that sort of thing. Um, whatever you want to bring. Um, uh, some folks will bring food items. That's what I hope. <laughs> Um, and for you folks that love to bring cookies, praise the Lord. We, we, we like that too. We will not turn anything away. All right. Uh, chapter 3, verse 14 in Revelation. John here speaking. John here writing, actually, in the Lord speaking. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. For I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, strong words here, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And because you say I am rich and in, and have uh, excuse me I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched miserable poor blind and naked for I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. For as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him or her, and dine with him and he with me. 
To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As also I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you this morning. And the one constant, Lord, we are always thankful and grateful for is the love of God. We are thankful, Lord, for your kindness, your mercy, your goodness. Lord, you have indeed been good to us. Lord, you're always good. Lord, as we look at this letter, Lord, written, Lord, to a church that perhaps, Lord, once was very hot, but over the course of time, Lord, they had migrated and drifted, Lord, quite far from you. And we realized, Lord, uh, as fellow believers, Lord, how very possible this is. We know our hearts, Lord. We know our weaknesses. And I pray that, Father, as we read about this church, the Church of Laodicea, a group of people that you loved, that, Lord, has, as you have had to use strong language, Lord, with them, that, Lord, if there be anything, Lord, similar, if there be any likeness in us, because, Lord, you know the future, we don't. I imagine there are times, Lord, when we've been so excited for you, so in love with you, that we, would, we thought it would always be like that. We thought it would never change. But Lord, we do change. We do drift. And I pray that, Father, you would, you would help us as we see this letter addressed to that kind of Christian lifestyle. that we would have an ongoing attitude, Lord, of, of repentance. Lord, we realize our culture is always wanting to shape us, mold us, change us. But Lord, you want to change us as well into your image. Be shaped and molded. And part of that, Lord, is correction. So help us, Lord, whatever we can take from this, Lord, message, this letter to those that you love. Help us, we pray, that, Lord, at times when you have to speak to us, Lord, as a loving yet concerned Father, that we would not be offended. We get so easily offended, Lord. Help us, I pray, to allow you, Lord, to be our God and Father, the lover of our souls, that just like, Lord, in a family, we would say things to one another that we wouldn't say to people outside the family. So give us, we pray, hearing hearts. And give me, I pray, Father, as I share a message like this, give me grace. I want to represent you, Lord. Represent you not only in word, but in spirit.
So, Father, we commit this to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Laodicea, 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 the city, was a very beautiful place. Uh, It was a place that uh, was uh, considered nice to raise a family. Of all the cities uh, of the seven churches there in Asia Minor that, again, represented, let's not forget that these churches represent all churches that will ever exist. And sometimes we can, a church may find itself um, addressed in some kind of way from each, perhaps maybe from, from different types of, you know, these churches that are here. Um, and I think, too, that maybe sometimes as we find ourselves maybe identifying with something more in one church, um, as we hear his message that he can wonderfully, as we take it to heart, he can change us. And this was an incredibly blessed and prosperous church. Remember, uh, when Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said, send that letter on to Laodicea, uh, because it was very, it was very close to, to, to uh, uh, Colossae. Uh, it was about 100 miles inland uh, from Ephesus. So um, you know, Ephesus, no doubt, being on the coast, about 100 miles inland. It was also to a very busy commercial place, uh, they had a very large textile industry, which means they would have all. It was a garment industry, uh, so uh, clothing would not be a problem if you lived there. Uh, in Laodicea, they also too had a medical school. It was a medical center, uh, and they were known for you know some of their topical ointments, and, and particularly uh, relative to this eye salve. And so we have a reference there to that Jesus referencing that, and, and you know. Uh, certainly whenever any kind of medical center, people would come from miles around, uh, you know, for treatment and that sort of thing. And of course, the, the, the big thing they were known for was the whole matter uh, of, um, of ISAV. Uh, also to a city like this, you know, offered great jobs and opportunities. And I was thinking about this, this could have been any city in America in the last 50 years. You know, re- really incredibly blessed and uh, and it seems to be uh, that uh, the economic blessings that we once had in this nation, they're not there anymore, are they? Uh, we see them dissipating uh, quickly. We see, uh, in a sense, kind of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. We see, we see this incredible uh, thing, uh, anomaly, if you will, societal anomaly of a middle class kind of disappearing. And uh, we take it for granted, but I'll tell you what, when you go back, uh, just 100, 150 years ago, there was no middle class, uh, you know, that had kind of, you know, wealth and advantage and opportunities available to them like you and I have today. We entitled our message this morning, The Danger of Too Much. And that's one of the things that we see in our world today. Um, uh, one preacher referred to the condition uh, that has happened to Western Christianity as affluenza. And uh, kind of, kind of... Uh, relate to that. It's easy to catch affluenza, you know, in our culture, in our society, and in our world today. Now, both, both testaments we find in the scripture warn us about the danger of wealth and riches. You know, Jesus speaks about it. Paul speaks about it in depth. Uh, we see over in the Proverbs, we see some warnings about it. Uh, and Jesus writes in Matthew chapter 6, if I may read this to you, And in verses uh, 19 and 20, he says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. I was kind of thinking, uh, as a matter of fact, I've written written, my Bible the name Bernie Madoff. As Bernie made off with everybody's goods. And if the rust and the corruption doesn't get you, if the rust doesn't get you, the, the corruption in men will get you. Um, we, we see that from time to time. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Isn't that true? You know, the thing that we really treasure, the thing that we really love the most, 
Uh, that's where our heart's going to be. That's where our devotion's going to be. That's where our love is going to be, the thing that we really treasure. And it's a secret thing in the heart of each person, isn't it? You know, the things that we really love, the things that we desire, the things that are our priorities in our life, the things that are important. And Jesus goes on to say this, no one can serve two masters. He, he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And some translations even put it this way, you cannot serve God and money. And how true that is, you know what? Uh, when you try to have two masters in your life, uh, the love in comparison to how you apprise that second thing in your life seems absolutely like hatred. And so whatever it is that's most important to us, that's the thing that we're really going to love. Uh, and there's really only one place that God has designed for you and I to have in our heart, and that is our love for God. Amen. Isn't that the first commandment? And then to love others as ourself. Uh, and and we, we, we see how easy it is, though, to allow our, defect, our affections and our devotions to begin to drift in the wrong kind of way. I, I find as an American, there's always something vying, if you will, you know, for you know, the dedication, the love, the consecration, the commitment you know, of my heart. There's always some kind of something out there vying, tempting us in some kind of way, attempting to pull us away from our, you know, from our love and our relationship. And it is a fight, isn't it? You know, that's why I think Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Uh, it is a fight to resist, you know, those things that are so often. And I'm not necessarily even talking about relationships, although that could be an issue. I'm just talking about material things. I'm talking about things that perhaps maybe are allowable in our lives. But before you know it, we find that so many allowable things in our life begin to accumulate. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves, you know, fussing over those things, more worried about those things, more concerned about those things, uh, you know, maintaining them. Uh, protecting them, uh, you know, just commit it to these things. And the fact of the matter is, the Bible warns us over and over again, uh, we came with nothing into this world and we are taking nothing out. And that's why it's very important that we need to have this eternal perspective. What are we investing our life in? What are we really committing ourselves to on a daily basis? And I think we need to, I think the Spirit will, will point those things out where we need to continually, you know, take a, 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 um, an inventory about simply what is going on in our life. And it seems to be with, it seems to be money can even cast a spell upon the most godly individual. And so we need to hear uh, how the Lord evaluates this kind of lifestyle. You know, how the Lord evaluates this kind of Christianity. You know, we have we have theologies now that embrace this kind of stuff. I mean, that's how far it's gone. You know, you know what I'm talking about, the prosperity doctrine. You know, that if, you know, because God loves you so much, you know, uh, he's going to make you rich and he's going to make you happy. Uh, and it's an antithesis of really good Bible teaching. Um, and it's very appealing. It's very, very appealing because everybody, you know, in our culture, a lot of people just want to come to America, you know, and, and, and get wealth and get riches and so forth because the opportunities are so great out there. But don't we see, you know, I was thinking about this billionaire and his wife up in Toronto, this, this uh, pharmaceutical billionaire, um, and him and his wife were found hung uh, over the weekend, and they were worth just billions of dollars. And, uh, and it just shows you uh, that you can, you, know, you can accumulate so many things in your life and still be absolutely miserable. Because that, that place of devotion, deep within our heart, deep within our life, is reserved for God alone. And only when he's on the throne of our heart are we really going to be happy, are we really going to be content, uh, are we really simply going to be satisfied. Now let's not forget here as we look at these verses, Jesus is the speaker here. You've got a Bible. Uh, no doubt uh, the words uh, uh, are read in your Bible. That's the Lord speaking here. And he says a number of things here in verse 14 uh, about himself. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write these things, says the amen, the faithful and true witness in the beginning of the creation of God, or I would actually, I would insert the word there. Be, he's, the, he's the beginning of the new creation. Um, that we have in Jesus Christ. But when anybody says amen, what they're simply saying is truly. 
there, or in other words, so be it. That, that's what the word amen, that's why when we hear something that we totally agree with, we, you, know, we, we, you know, we may say it in a service, we may say it to ourselves, you know, simply amen, you know, so be that. In other words, it's the final word. And what Jesus is simply saying here is that Jesus is the final word to mankind. Remember he told us uh, in chapter 1, he's what? The Alpha and the Omega, re referring there to the Greek alphabet. You know, he's the A to Z. You know, everything that, everything that humanity needs, everything that you and I need that we can find in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Satan will sometimes tell us, well, you come to Christ, um, and uh, he's not really going to meet your need. And, and sometimes we may feel that, don't we? Sometimes we may feel, you know, here I'm praying about this, I'm praying about that, and, and you know, Lord, where are you? Why aren't you answering? And, and as it comes to, you know, the A to Z, and Jesus being the final word and being, you know, the all-sufficient one, uh, that's what the Old Testament term El Shaddai means, um, that, that everything that you and I could possibly need and I'm not talking about the little piddly things. Man, God takes care of that stuff, you know, material stuff. It's the deeper things. It's the spiritual things. You know, a lot of times people go groping, you know, throughout life looking for some kind of relationship. You know, with some person, sometimes people go through a series of relationships. You know, I guess the Hollywood folks can afford to do that. The most of us can't, and so we don't. But a lot of times, folks, you know, will go through this, you know, just looking for, you know, that perfect person. And you think, oh, I finally got that person. And then they marry them and find out they're not the perfect person. Because there isn't any person that's going to truly satisfy you completely, totally. That's reserved for God alone. That, that's reserved. And that's why it's so important, I, 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 you know, that... Uh, we realize that, that that inner hunger, that inner thirst, that is the very thing oftentimes that drives us to the Lord. And, and that's in every heart. That, that's in every heart. And that's why it's so important for you and I to communicate the satisfaction, the blessedness of knowing Christ to those people around us that don't know him. Because I'll tell you what, as I was, looking, as I was searching and looking, the gospel came along just at that particular time because I believe the Lord put that search in my heart, that desire in my heart. And, and, and I remember hearing and seeing the lives of those around me uh, that they were, they were professing, they were confessing Jesus Christ. And, and, and I, there was something that was just sort of magnetic about it. Uh, and, and it was simply because I, in and of myself, was empty. And I know I needed something more, but I wasn't quite sure if it really was this Jesus. I, I wasn't really quite sure if it was a relationship with him. Uh, but yet those around me seemed so satisfied, so happy, uh, so blessed. Uh, and, and so that was the very thing that God used as a springboard to really, you know, um, get me to that place where I would open up my life to him. And I'll tell you what, that was 40, close to 45 years ago, and he has not let me down yet. He, you know, he keeps satisfying, doesn't he? Doesn't he keep meeting your need? But sometimes to have that deeper need met, because like I said, the world's always encroaching. The, the, the world's always vying, you know, for our affection, for our love. And so at times we feel like, you know, even as a Christian, we may feel kind of, you know, we may feel kind of empty. Uh, we may feel like, well, you know, the thing, the Jesus thing isn't really kind of doing it for me, you know, anymore. You know what you need to do? You need to dig a little deeper. You, you need to search a little, a little harder. Uh, you know, so often we see those kind of phrases in the Bible. You know, if you search with, I think it's Jeremiah 29, I think. Uh, if you search with me with all your heart, you will be found of me. And you know what? That isn't just initially, folks. That's an ongoing thing of, of searching after him because he wants to satisfy us. He's the only one that can really, truly satisfy us. I, I, you know, I, so often I, I'm just sitting there in the morning or at different times, you know, with my Bible. And man, I want to tell you, you know, there, there's something that can just so satisfy your spirit. As the Word of God, you know, it seems like sometimes the Lord just sort of lifts it off the page to you. 
and he like, it's like it sort of just comes into your spirit and, and there's a satisfaction, there's, there's a fulfillment, uh, there's a blessedness there. Uh, that's, why he, you know, that's why he encourages us constantly to be feeding uh, our hunger uh, with his word, uh, to be you know, uh, satisfying our thirst you know, in our relationship <coughs> excuse me, with him. And so as we look at verse 14, uh, you know, sadly, there was no more faith and, and witness. He was the faithful witness. You know, he was the true one. There was no more of this in this church anymore. Uh, we, we find no commendation at all uh, in this church. Now, as we look at verse 15, have you ever had to confront somebody? Isn't it a difficult thing? We hate confrontation, don't we? That, that, that's just something that is a very difficult thing in our humanity. I don't know, some people seem to be able to do it better than others, but I don't think it's really easy, you know, ever easy for, for any of us. And, and so we see here, uh, Jesus here confronting this church about their condition and about their need to change. You know, sometimes when we speak truth, it can be so convicting. I was thinking, uh, and this is a verse that comes to me uh, oftentimes, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Making a contrast there. Better just to openly rebuke someone to just, you know, well, I love them, but I ain't going to say a thing. And that's usually the position we take, isn't it? You know, I love them and I'll pray for them, but I'm not going to say a thing. And you know what? Sometimes there comes a time, and, and I feel this just, I feel weak in this just as you do, uh, th that we have to say something to someone uh, because we see their life moving in the wrong direction. And, and I think the point the Bible speaks here is that love speaks. Remember Ephesians 4.15, to speak the truth in love. But by golly, let's speak the truth. It's very easy to tell somebody, well, we love them, but at the same time, we don't want to say anything that's wrong. And, and there, there comes a time, I think, for all of us that we're called upon to do that. The proverb goes on, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Remember, Judas kissed Jesus before he deceived him, before he betrayed him. When the Lord has to wound us, and sometimes he can wound us, through a person. You know, I can't help but to think when it comes to a scenario like this about David Nathan. And remember David was just, he had his heels in. He wasn't going to, he wasn't going to fess up. And many of the theologians believe that when he um, committed adultery with Bathsheba, that the situation went on for roughly about a year. And God knows there's a danger when, when we go on in our sin because sin makes people hard. It makes the, it makes the spirit callous and, and resistant to God. And so God had to send along Nathan. And sometime maybe you and I may be a Nathan in someone's life. Or God may send a Nathan to us. Somebody that loves us enough that they're going to risk our friendship by telling us what we need to hear. It's a great deficit in the church today. It's a great deficit in Christianity. And I'm not saying, I'm not praying that you get the gift of rebuke. Okay? There are some people that they seem to have the gift of rebuke. All right? We don't want that. We want it to be difficult, but at the same time, we want to do it. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Jesus is being per perfectly faithful to this church because he's saying some incredibly difficult things. He says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then, you know, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, six miles away in a city by the name of Heropolis, there was a warm spring, and this was the water supply for Laodicea. 
And there was a conduit that brought it from Hierapolis over to Laodicea. When it left Hierapolis, it was hot. When it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And so you can see the analogy there. You know, at one time, this church, man, they were hot for God. Man, they were excited for Jesus. Maybe they said things like, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go. <laughs> I'm your man. I'm your woman. I'll do it. You just, Lord, you just point me in the direction. But the thing is, too, they weren't cold either. I'm a tea drinker. I guess you can do it with coffee, too. But I love hot tea in the morning, in the winter, and I love iced tea for lunch and dinner. But I don't like it lukewarm. And I'm sure you feel the same way about your coffee or your tea or whatever the case may be. just lukewarm I think if we could we could convert that into a uh, a condition a spiritual condition an emotional condition I think it would be complacent they were just complacent they were more concerned I think about going to the country club than the mission field they were kind of a country club kind of church. I looked up a definition for compl complacency, and it was this. To be smug, to be self-satisfied, to please oneself. But you know, to God, it was nauseating. Uh, the old King James says, Spew you out of my mouth. Some translations, the newest translations say spit you out of my mouth. But the actual picture is of, of projectile vomiting. I've only ever seen one person do that in my life. I've never forgotten it. It was so sickening to see that. And Jesus is saying, as he looked at this church, unfortunately, I don't mean this church, I hope we're not Laodicea. <laughs> but, you know, when we read warnings like this, it teaches us something, doesn't it? I mean, do you ever see someone's life and say, I don't want to ever be like that? That's why the Lord, we find, he, he puts these examples, you know, in the Bible. I'll tell you what, you can learn a lot from a negative example. One of the wisdom writers in the Bible said that he actually learned more from suffering than he did laughter. And I think it's true in our own lives. I couldn't help but think of a nation that was warned by Jeremiah. You know, the prophets not only warned the nation of Israel, but they warned some of the, the surrounding nations because God had called them what? To be a witness, right? To, witness, to be a witness to the surrounding nations. They failed in that, just like God has called the church that we're to be a witness, what? To the world. But that one nation was Moab. And it was kind of an interesting that, uh, analogy that the Lord, uh, that the prophet uh, uh, Jeremiah, uh, that the Lord gave Jeremiah about the nation. And he likened this nation, so often we see this kind of, and we see the metaphors here also, uh, in uh, Revelation, but the metaphor was that Moab was like a wine bottle that had sat too long. If you know anything about wine, that when the wine is first put in the bottle, uh, there's a certain amount of residue that settles to the bottom. It's called the sediment, or it's called the dregs. And if that bottle, if that bottle remains without being poured, and that's, the, that's what a vinter does, that he pours the wine in order for it to, to purify it, he pours it from bottle to bottle. And every time he pours it, he removes more and more sediment till he gets a clear product. And here's what the Lord said about this, this nation, Moab. They had been at ease from their youth. In other words, life was too easy. 
You see why the Lord brings adversity into our lives? I'll tell you what, if life has ever been easy, it's been easy in America. It's been easy in our culture. It's too easy. One of the things that I see in our culture is the, the tremendous softening and feminization of men. You agree with that? Men need to stop wanting to be women. And it's interesting because the women now want to start being like men. Gender confusion is the result of moral confusion. And it's only as Christ comes in to our lives does he get the compass needle lined up right where all of a sudden we realize that God has created me the way he's created me. He wants me to glorify him in a certain way. So much confusion out there. And, and I think we need to realize how crazy the world is getting and how much they need Jesus. And that you and me were the ambassadors. You know, the church has always been designed to be the conscience of a nation. Do you know that? The conscience of a society. And though the world may shout us down, though the world may tell us to shut up, you need to speak up. We need to speak up. Don't let the, don't let the culture... Though it will go that way, don't let it go to hell in a handbasket. God has always called his people to make a difference. And just like we were reading, uh, singing this morning, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the word of God. And we need to speak it. We need to communicate it to our culture, to our society. And, and don't just because we anticipate they don't want to hear it, well, I'm not going to say anything. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Well, here was Moab. Been at ease from his youth, has settled on his dregs, and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has gone into the captivity. Therefore, his taste remained in him, and his scent had not changed. See, when you leave the sediment in the bottle, it basically poisons the whole bottle. That's why the Lord will not leave you and me alone, hallelujah. He loves us too much. He knows that our, that our human nature, our flesh, will just poison everything. So he, he brings us through trials. He's working change in our lives. And I know if you're like me, we do our very best to avoid trials. Okay? Man, I, I can, I am pretty good. Pretty evasive when it comes to circumventing certain situations. But then you know what? God has a wonderful way. He's, he's the ultimate chess player, isn't he? <laughs> you, know, you got your moves. You got your moves. And and he's already got you all figured out. He's already got you in checkmate. And so the Lord said to Moab, I'm going to send you people that are going to tip your bottles over. You don't want to let me do it? I've come to realize it's so, it, it is so important, I think, for us to, to cultivate and develop sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And when he prompts us, Lord, have your way. I don't want you. It's like, remember David when he was confronted with three things? Uh, you know, a famine. And then, you know, uh, the foreigner's man to run you over, you know, for, for a certain period of time. And you know what David said? Let me fall into the hands of the Lord. That's why don't be stubborn. 
Don't be stubborn. Be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Let God deal. You know, let, let God have His way. Those people are always not that gracious. People are never as sensitive as the Lord is. So God is going to send <clears throat> those that tip over their bottles. Now, verse 17, back in Revelation 3, he had read their thoughts, he had heard their words. And he said, because you say I'm rich and wealthy, I have need of nothing. They were basically, they were fat, they were happy, they were self-sufficient. Man, in Laodicea, the, the economy was humming along. The stock market was making new highs every day. And the future looked so absolutely secure. But do you know success, success and, and, and affluence is a very deceitful mistress? And she will readily turn against you for some other guy. That's the way affluence is. That's the way success is. What did Frank Sinatra used to sing? Riding high in April, shot down in May. How true that is. Riding high in April, shot down in May. That, that, that's that, that's the, the way success is in this world. The only constant is the Lord. Part B, in verse 17, is do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Sometimes the truth can hurt us more than a lie, can it? What difficult words Jesus had to say to this church. You know, sometimes I've seen a mentality in Christianity that Jesus would never say anything hurtful to us. You ever see that mentality out there? It's like this real, you know, this real libertarian kind of mentality. Jesus would never say anything harsh or hurtful to us. Like he's still the babe in the manger or something, you know. But these are the words of Jesus. He, he loves us enough and love this group enough where he's willing to speak the truth. And he identifies basically their condition. To be wretched simply means, you know what, to be outwardly detestable and vile. But to be miserable is an inward condition. It's an inward emotional condition. Now, now these Laodiceans, you know what, they had everything that a heart could wish. But you know what, we don't possess Jesus and we really don't have a lock on him. You can have all kinds of stuff. And I think a lot of times there's something about human nature when it comes to affluence that when people just sort of, you ever notice how people surround themselves with things? I sometimes notice that men just to sort of somehow satisfy themselves, they put all their accolades on the wall. All their accomplishments on this wall and that wall. All these things. It's sort of like surrounding myself with all the things that I've done, but there's something there still that it doesn't satisfy me. There's still sort of a, just a, an emptiness. I mean, can't you see all my credentials on the wall? I'm important. <laughs> but there's only one place where we can really find confidence and a sense of security and well-being and self-worth in Christ. It's in Jesus. <laughs> And we, and we find we don't need all this stuff hanging on the walls. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But, but if it's there just to tell me, to make me feel good about myself, that's not good. Now, the poor, blind, and naked, that was their spiritual condition. Because the Bible tells us, you know, without Christ, we really can't see anything, can we? Verse 18, he says, to buy, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire. See, this is what they needed. This is what they lacked. And you know what? They had gold. They had some gold. But isn't it interesting? I love the Holy Spirit 
And when we see later in Revelation, what does God use gold for? What does he liken it to? This, this, this stuff that people are crazy about. Did you ever watch that gold rush on, on Discovery Channel? It's kind of like the only cable channel I get in, so I, I, I watch it. And here's all these young guys up in the Yukon. And man, they are killing themselves to extract gold out of the ground. And there's this one guy, I can't help but tend to focus on him. Uh, he started out with his grandfather as a very young guy. And now he's, you know, somewhere, you know, uh, five, ten years later. And I remember, I remember the show early on. Now they were just sort of scratching around. And to find one little nugget, they were all excited. They're all happy. And now it's interesting, after they look at their findings, like from a week or a month, which are literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. And their season basically is millions of dollars. And as they wait in each time, they're miserable and unhappy. Because they didn't make their goal. They didn't make their goal of 5,000 ounces of gold this season. <laughs> and, and they're just, they're, they're driven. But isn't don't you love what the Bible says that God's going to, gold is going to be like asphalt in heaven. Streets of gold, right? The kind of gold here that, that, that Jesus is speaking about is simply faith in him. Faith in him is, a, is, a, is an eternal currency, if you will. Peter writes it like this. He says uh, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember Paul said at the end of, uh, he was speaking about love in the great love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. And remember what he says there at the very end of it, the last verse, now abide faith, hope, and love. These are the abiding qualities. These are eternal things. Do you think Warren Buffett is happy? I don't think so. Or any wealthy man. It seems like the more you accumulate, oh, I, got, I need a little more. To really be secure, I need a little more. Isn't that the way it is? That's the deceitfulness of riches, the Bible says. Because people today, because of what they have in their bank account, they think they're secure. And they're not. The most secure person on earth is the believer trusting Jesus. Well, be careful you don't be deceived. You know, money is a wonderful servant, but a terrible Lord, a terrible master. It's important that we use it for him. But this gold here, he encourages them to buy from him. Uh, just uh, an analogy there. Uh, refined in the fire, that you may be rich. And have white garments that you may be clothed. And the garments here are simply what? They're the righteousness that's imparted to us because of Christ and what he has simply done. See, everybody that trusts in him, that's as if you're, a, you're adorned in a garment, a white garment. An eternal garment. The Bible says that the righteousness of man apart from Christ and what Christ has done, his rede redeeming, redemptive work, is like filthy rags. Remember Isaiah tells us that. Can't get into heaven on our own righteousness. Only on his. And then he says here, uh, that you may have, uh, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And what does this story simply also do is when you come to Jesus Christ, it's that, it's that the anointing of the Spirit of God upon your life. Isn't it true that you can't really see what did Jesus say in John 3, 3? Most assuredly, I say, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom. 
you can't really understand spiritual things unless the Holy Spirit is in your life. And that's what happens when we come to Christ. That's what happens when we are born again. God's Spirit invades our space. You see, this church here is like maybe many churches today where the gospel is not even preached, not even a, you know, where there's no relationship with Jesus Christ that's encouraged. You'd be surprised what, you know, when a church moves away from the Bible and away from truth, they tend to move into social programs. How sad and how pathetic. Because it's just doing things in our own right, in our own energy, with our own ability, with our own resources. Man, God can accomplish so much more, can he? When we experience his righteousness. When we have the true, pure gold of faith and trust in him. John said, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know our see all things. What a wonderful thing. Now, in verse 19, he says, as many as I love. Now, that, again, yes, this seems kind of harsh for him to say this, but he's saying it out of love. Did a parent ever get angry at you, your mom, your dad? Maybe just some of you. <laughs> And said some pretty hard things to you. But you knew they loved you. You knew they loved you. And Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. And again, I think, I think what happens is our definition of, you know, true love, genuine love, the love of God is so different. You know, than, than our human love. And that's why it's so important that as we read the Bible more and more, we understand the nature of Jesus. Because, again, he's perfect love. He's love personified. He's truth personified. He's love personified. So the more that we get to understand him, the more we really truly understand what love is. Our love is a human being. It's weak. It's vacillating. You know how quickly we can say to somebody, I love them. And they do something against us. Oh, I hate them. <laughs> I really loved them yesterday, but they're really on my nerves today. That's how we are. That, that's our, our vulnerability, our weakness. Now, verse 20 <clears throat> is so often used in evangelism. It's a great verse. Great truth. And this verse is depicted in a painting that was first made back in the 1850s. And the painting is Christ at the door. And if you put that in your search engine, you're going to get up a whole bunch of renditions of that, maybe 50 or 100 different renditions of that. And you've seen it. And Jesus is there standing at the door, and it's this beautiful little stone cottage. And there's like a trellis outside the door. Beautiful little setting. And Jesus is there knocking on the door. And the one thing that you can't help but to notice is that there's no handle or doorknob. And it's a, what it is, it's a picture depicting Jesus knocking on the door of this church or putting it on a personal level, level. Knocking on the door of the heart. And you see, here's the deal. He will never force himself on anyone. Never has, never will. It is incumbent upon the person on the inside to open that door in and to let Christ in. And every person that has ever become a Christian, this has happened for them. You've got to open the door. He won't force himself on anybody. It's not his nature. But once he comes in, the peace, the joy, the blessedness, and he likens it to sitting down at a feast. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And, and the hearing of the voice is the truth 
the gospel and the truth that comes into our life. Remember I said before I opened the door in my own life, I was hearing a lot of things that really resonated with me. Because at, at, at that point in my life, I was really searching. And I believe God initiated that. I was reading all kinds of psychology and all the different guys that were hot, you know, back in the 1970s. And even some of the goofy things, chariots of the gods, books like that. You know, because when you're hungry, when you're hungry, sometimes, like you've seen people eat out of a dumpster, that's the old-fashioned equivalent of eating out of a trash can. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of trash cans today that are being offered up in our culture. But when we hear the truth of Jesus, and he speaks to us in a still, small voice, we have to open up. That's contingent upon our response. And he promises anyone who comes to me, I will no way cast out. If we open our heart and our life to him, changes your destiny. Doesn't just make you a member of any given church. It's huge. It's awesome. As we close and as I pray, if you would like to do that, I'd like to have you stand right now. I'd like to have you stand right now if you'd like to do that. Anyone else? You know, it can be the most important decision. It is the most important decision in your life. Not could be. It is. Anybody else want to stand up? Father, I, I thank you for your invitation. Your invitation, Lord, as we hear your voice calling us, giving us an opportunity, and, and I even pray for anyone right now this morning, Lord, that might be wrestling with that. Lord, what you have to give is free. What, to, what you have to give is wonderful. And what you have to give, Lord, is eternal. I thank you for each one of those that have made that decision for you. Oh, Father, by your blessed Holy Spirit, may you come into each and every heart. Each and every heart that has opened that door to you. And Lord, for those perhaps that have opened it again. It's been open. But Lord, they need a fresh empowering, a fresh touch. Lord, I pray you do that. Lord, we thank you for your love. Thank you that you love us so much that you would say things to us that we need to hear. We always want to have an open ear, an open heart. I pray for us as a church, Lord, Oh, God, may you keep us. Keep us, Lord. Don't let us become like the Laodicean church, that you're on the outside of it. We want you on the inside, Lord. We want you guiding, directing. Lord, you're the shepherd. Lord, you died for our sins. You paid our penalty. And you give us this incredible, this pass, this ticket to glory. We thank you for that. And God, I pray your blessing upon your people. Go with us, Lord. And let us be, I pray, Father. Let us be a witness, an ambassador. Lord, to our friends, our family, and particularly at this season of the year when so many people, Lord, are open 
They're open to just, Lord, hear the Christmas story. But it's a redemptive story. And Lord, may you, may, may you just bring many unto yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.